your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle set to the top of the pattern. Now Spielman in motion to the near side. Rolling right is McCaffrey. Throws it toward the end zone. Wide open is Noah. Makes a catch. And it is a touchdown. Nebraska. Now let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate Rohr. Here we are Monday night. Finally, finally a national championship game is here. It's taken a while to get here. No doubt about it. Well, think about this. So from the time that the national championship game was set, I think we've gone from 32 NFL teams playing to four. <laughs> I mean, You're right, because the last week of the regular season was the next day. Yeah. You had them all in action. Then you had yes. Black Monday. Then you had the wild card round. Yeah, yeah. you're right. I mean, that's it, – it's just loony how long yeah. – it, it, and you think about how compressed the college football calendar usually is where you're playing 13 games in 14 weeks. And this year, because of the two buys, it's 13 and 15, but that's still really compressed. And now you're playing two games in six weeks. Crazy. Just weird. It's crazy. LSU Clemson set to duel tonight at the Superdome down in New Orleans, which is a huge, huge advantage for LSU. But they didn't set the dates. They didn't set the location. They just took advantage. They're taking advantage of having a great team Mm -hmm. at this time when the championship game is 90 miles from their campus. It's just fortunate. It's a lucky break. It's not like this was preordained or set up to really help out LSU, although it will end up helping LSU, and uh, I got to imagine the Superdome, the top's barely going to stay on that place. It's going to be full of raging uh, the Cajuns. They're going to be out in force tonight for this one. So, Huss, that one's going – this is going to be one of the hardest sports nightlies to do Hmm. because that game's going to be going on, and we're going to sit here trying to do a show for the last 90 minutes of it. Well, well, the good part is hopefully uh, ESPN chocks that first few breaks (laughs) full to where – uh, you can lock in on uh, the job while while the commercials are going, and then peek back and forth once uh, once the game starts again. Gonna be hard, yeah. Gonna be hard. All right, here's what we have coming up on the program tonight: Parker Gabriel, who today was named the Sports Writer of the Year in the state of Nebraska. Congratulations, Parker writes for the Lincoln Journal Star. He will be here in a couple of minutes. His publication broke a story over the weekend about some big-time raises for some Nebraska football coaches, namely Ryan Held and Travis Fisher. Parker's going to join us here in a couple of minutes to talk about that. Let's talk about that right now. Man, you talk about two deserving guys. Yeah. They both won with what they've done with their position groups in the first two years of the Scott Frost regime, but maybe more importantly, what they've done on the recruiting trail. No question about it, and especially in the case of Travis Fisher, he took over a problem room. I mean, when when this staff walked in the door of uh, of the football offices in December of 2017, I don't know that anybody felt good about what the defensive backs were and what they were putting out there. And, you know, Travis Fisher whipped them into shape by, you know, by the middle of last year. That defensive backfield room was pretty good. And then this year it was, it was good from the jump. Uh, they clearly just picked up right where they left off. Lamar Jackson went from the parable of a hyper-talented guy that never capitalized to a guy who played pretty good football over the last year and a half for Nebraska. DiCaprio Boodle has had a pretty good two years. Cam Taylor-Britt looks super promising. So yeah, Travis Fisher has done a lot of work. And then you look at what he's been able to do in the recruiting trail. And first, that's just good for the program. But secondly, that ought to be able to perpetuate what he's started to build already in that room. And then Ryan Held, you know, it's taken a little while into seasons for the running backs to get going. But you feel like both 18 and 19, the running backs have gotten better, and particularly the feature back, whether it's Divina Zigbo in 18 or whether it's Diedrich Mills in 19. You felt, you know, in both cases it took them a while to get going, but by the end of the year they were pretty good. And, you know, Ryan's so important in the junior college ranks. And as they try to re-engineer this roster and get some 
field-ready talent on the roster. Recruiting JUCOs is so important. Nebraska dipped heavily into that pool this year, and though I don't think that'll be how they live once they get it going, it'll always be a part of the diet. Going back to, to Travis Fisher, and I know we're, we're still almost two months away, just inside of two months away from spring ball beginning, and everybody's going to be focused on the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I, I get that, even with Adrian back and a two-year starter. But to me, I can't wait to watch the competition in that defensive backfield room sure. because of the, the young men who redshirted last year that were – except for Newsom. Newsom did play enough last year. He lost his – so he's now a sophomore. But Noah Pulligates, I mean, you've got uh, – what do they do with Javen Wright? Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there are some exciting names into the mix of the names you threw out there. And then you're bringing in – you're bringing in some more guys. Henry Gray's already here. Started class today on campus. The, the competition is going to be unbelievable in that room. Yeah, and you just love having depth among those defensive backs because there's so much you can do with those guys. I mean, the guys who, quote, unquote, lose out on the battles on the depth chart, great. They're special teamers. And you tell them, look, you may not be playing on scrimmage downs, but you can make your mark covering kicks, covering punts, Whatever, And also, you know, in some cases, depth at defensive back gives you some options at other positions. And, you know, Javon Wright's been an example mm-hmm. of a guy that, that, that has been talked about as one that they could put some weight on and move up to outside linebacker. And, and we've seen that happen with JoJo Doman uh, to where that can be done, mm-hmm. to where you can take somebody who's a little undersized, put some weight on them, and move them up. So the fact that you have depth in a place where it can help you in so many different ways other than just those four spots or when you're in the nickel, the five spots, I think that's valuable. Miles Farmer's a guy that I can't wait to watch compete in the spring practice. Braxton Clark, when we saw him get opportunities in the fall, he played mm-hmm. well. Uh, he looks like the heir apparent to the Lamar Jackson spot on the field. We'll see. He's got to certainly do that. But I'm really excited about that group going forward. So well-deserved raises for those two. Parker will be along here in a couple of minutes to update us on all of that. Adam Rittenberg will join us at the top of hour number two. Adam is the national writer for college football for ESPN.com. He's actually at the coaches convention, which there's always usually stories there that are going on, which is in Nashville, started today. Uh, Nate will, will join me also in hour number two to talk about his weekend. Oh, he just got to go to Arrowhead yesterday ha. to be a part of maybe one of the most fantastic, amazing pro football playoff games ever to be played. Yeah, that that, that was that was fun the last two and a half quarters. Uh, the first quarter or so, I thought Oof. we're adding another chapter into the uh, nasty book of Chiefs playoff failure, but somehow they turned it around. They got a little crack from the Ravens, and then they ran right through it for 50-some straight points. So. Well, we'll relive that day with you coming up in hour number two. We'll have our weekend rewind and, and the Husker basketball team off to Columbus. Coach Hoiberg met with the media before he took off earlier today. We'll hear his thoughts about playing the Buckeyes tomorrow night. Let's go back then to Husker basketball now in our next little segment here. A disappointing game Saturday in Evanston. Just a really poor first half. Dug a huge hole. I credit the guys for coming back, having a shot to tie it late. But that was a, that was a winnable road game for Nebraska that got through them. And you worry that the lack of atmosphere, the lack – uh, of a good opponent in Northwestern kind of got in their heads a little bit because that that was a very uh, tepid, very slow first half out of Nebraska. And this is, this is a Northwestern team that's probably going to end up last in the league. So instead of taking the attitude of we should come out and if we, if we come out guns a-blazing, we've got a chance to win here, they almost took it for granted. I, I think that's – probably the the best place to start and look they played great in the second half they fought their way back in it and this team's competitive drive I think is is pretty unquestioned but you know that's got to be there from the jump that's got to be there from the minute you walk in to the gym and I don't know that it was for this team on Saturday no and I said this on Friday's show that Winning on the road in the Big Ten's hard. Mm-hmm. That was the best chance. Now, I'm not saying they can't go win somewhere. They can win tomorrow night at Columbus. But like you said, that was the team that's probably going to finish last in the league. And Nebraska's down 15 at the half. Heck, Nebraska was down 12 with three and a half to go in the game. Sure. And made a couple big threes to get it down to six. 
And then Northwestern helped them out by doinking some front ends of one-and-ones, right. giving Nebraska a shot, and the Huskers darn near pulled the thing off. But it probably shouldn't have got to that because you, just, you dug too big a hole in the first half by being slow on closeouts. You let Northwestern hit some threes in that first half, which certainly helped them out. In fact, they made – uh, they they were eight of fourteen on threes in the first mm. half were the cats and they're not a very good shooting three three point team but just a missed opportunity for Fred Hoiberg's guys and you were hoping that Nate that they would build on the Iowa win mm-hmm. and turn it into a two game little run here but it didn't didn't happen yeah weren't able weren't able to ride that and yeah with these guys so much of these lessons are going to have to be hard learned unfortunately because you feel like. Uh, going through the Big Ten schedule and just bringing that great effort 20 times. I mean, never mind the 30 sometimes that you play, but just the 20 times in the league, that's that's going to be a lot to ask. And unfortunately, they didn't bring it on Saturday to begin. They, they played well toward the end, fought their way back into it, but it's got to be there for 40 minutes, especially uh, the rest of the way in Big Ten play because – I mean, you've already played Northwestern and 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 not want, and gave away that chance to win, and uh, you played Purdue and beat them to your credit. Uh, you played Iowa and beat them, but those winnable games, those games that you can win with something other than a perfect effort. Uh, are getting few and far between. Be tough tomorrow night. I, I know the Buckeyes are one and four. Mm-hmm. This is probably the wrong time to be playing them, to yeah. be to be perfectly honest, because they're pretty good. I like their team. I like the makeup of their team, but they have hit a little bit of a rough patch. Now they're going to be home, and they're going to be, I would guess, chomping at the bit to take on the Big Red tomorrow night. I'm sure their conversation is, is look, this, this is our best chance to get back on track, and we're going to be in our building. Uh, it's not a really tough place to play it's it's no. not not a great atmosphere but it's still it's still their building it's still their rims it's still their locker room and, and so for nebraska they've got to be prepared to match that and 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 face off with one of the more talented teams in this league all right so if you have some thoughts about husker hoops love to hear your take on that at 866 husker 1 487 five three seven one in fact tomorrow night's game's early five thirty tip four thirty for pregame it means no sports only coming your way tomorrow night as oscars take on the buckeyes before we wrap up the opening segment i gotta get your take on huge news huge news today out of major league hmm. baseball the houston astros um were have been been investigated over the last couple of months by major league baseball for using uh video cameras to steal signs from other teams they have been whacked. In fact, their manager, A.J. Hinch, was given a one-year suspension. So was their general manager. Both have been fired by the Astros after this news came down earlier this afternoon. They lose their first and second round draft picks for the next two drafts. This is a heavy hammer being dropped on the Astros by Major League Baseball. You feel like this is Major League Baseball saying enough and trying trying to set up a penalty that is so tough that that anybody else will think long and hard before using technology to steal signs. I mean, look, sign stealing from the people on the field. It, it's been that, going on since the game started. Exactly. That's gone on forever. And, and I think it, it's an okay it, – it, it's not the best thing to do, but it, it's okay. It's within – the realm of, of acceptable play, but using technology is going way too far. And as good as the technology is, it, this is a point where Major League Baseball needed to make a strong statement and say, we're done with this. We're not going to do this. We're not going to use technology to steal signs and, and to really compromise the integrity of the game. So uh, I'm fine with the tough penalties. I I'm a little surprised the Astros took it one step farther, honestly, in firing Jeff Luno and in firing A.J. Hinch, the, the manager. Um, I, I think that that is, is maybe going too far for the Astros to kind of tear their clothes about this a little bit. I think the one-year suspension was sufficient, but I'm a little surprised that they fired him. But that said, I think they had to come after the Astros hard. Uh, because this is becoming a problem in Major League Baseball. There was a memo sent out to all the teams saying, hey, stop this. 
and the Astros kept doing they it. They ignored it. And, and right. just flat out ignoring the league office and, and flat out ignoring the commissioner's edict to stop doing it. And, and so they had to drop the hammer. They did. And it really changes the picture of the Astros because you're talking about an Astro team that was is still the favorite in the AL West and probably will be one way or the other. But if you've got a different general manager, the task becomes very difficult in sustaining this run for the Astros. So it could change the face of the AL West moving forward. Well, during the playoffs this past fall, there was that whole thing about were they banging like trash cans yes. up the hall? Were they whistling during things to, to, to relay signals to the guys on the field? So the people have been have been wise to the Astros for a while, but boy, I, I'll be honest, I was surprised that the hammer was this hard falling on the Astros. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just surprised MLB uh, dropped it as hard on them as they did. Let's go out to Grand Island to start us off tonight. Greg, you're up on Sports Nightly. <laughs> Hey guys, thanks for taking my call. First of all, Clemson and the points tonight. I think it's finally Joe's time to run into a really aggressive defense that is going to be able to get after him. So I, I think the overs in Clemson for this evening. Um, on the baseball thing, I actually have a different take on it. I think it's pretty hypocritical of Major League Baseball to go after the Astros this hard when we have no salary cap. The Yankees can spend whatever they want. And a few of the big market teams can do whatever they want and spend whatever they want, and that's perfectly okay. It doesn't affect the game any. But then you try to take an advantage. You do an advantage, and you try to steal signs, and then all of a sudden we're going to come after them. I just I have a different take on it. Yeah, you know, it, it's wrong, but I still say that Major League Baseball has way bigger problems than guys trying to steal signs. I would agree with the general sentiment. Uh, the examples he's using of no salary cap – that's, I guess, technically true, but the, the luxury tax has acted as a salary cap. Teams have been reluctant to sign guys and reluctant to go over uh, that cap. Uh, Major League Baseball does have bigger problems, though, in terms of the marketing of the game, the pace of the game, keeping interest up uh, in the game. But I, I don't know that you know, if you're a commissioner trying to take leadership of a league to address those big issues and understand there there's a collective bargaining agreement coming up in the next couple of years, you have to look strong. You have to look like you're running your league, like you have your league under control, where all of a sudden everybody's kind of running amok, going off doing their own thing. So I'm sure that's part of this, this picture, too, is the idea that uh, – Fred Man or that uh, Rob Manfred, Rob Manfred yep. the uh, commissioner of baseball, felt like he needed to flex some muscle and show some strength uh, as Major League Baseball comes up to a big point in its history with the new collective bargaining agreement and and at a point where he doesn't feel like he has the power he needs to guide the game in the way he wants to. Major League Baseball payrolls last year. He mentioned the Yankees; they were third. They were behind the Red Sox and the Cubs. Right. For total payroll. And, and, you know, we've seen teams, you talk about the Red Sox and the Cubs, uh, they've not done much this offseason because they're scared that the luxury tax is having the deterrent effect that you want on those highest spenders in terms of not spending. Now, there should be a better job of having a floor to it, too, so that more teams spend. We're seeing teams... Way too many teams not try uh, in tanking, tanking, not building right. their rosters, whatever. But I do think the luxury tax is having maybe not the total effect that a salary cap would, but at least a pretty pretty strong effect down that road. Yeah. Greg, appreciate the call. Thanks. When we come back, Parker Gabriel, the Lincoln Journal star, will join us next. National Championship Night. LSU Clemson. About 30 minutes away from kickoff down at the Superdome. Should be a good one. I know one guy that will be watching us joins us now, Parker Gabriel of the Lincoln Journal-Star, who was announced a few hours ago, was named the 2019 Nebraska Sports Writer of the Year. Congratulations, Parker. Well-deserved. Oh, thanks, Greg. I appreciate that. Fantastic news. Um, Uh How about this wait, 12 days between the semifinals and the finals? I hate this. I've been ready for a game for about a week now. Yeah, I know. Someone said to me, uh, 
yesterday just made a reference to the game tomorrow night. And I have to admit, like, I had to do a double take where <laughs> I thought, oh, yeah, that's right, the national championship game. Still got one big one left. The, the biggest one. That's right, the biggest one. How do you how do you break this one down? You picking LSU? I am. I don't feel good about it. Um, really? You know, it's one of those things where it's really hard to pick against them. I'm not going to pick against them. But at the same time, if you don't pick against them, that means you're picking against a team that's won 29 straight games. And a quarterback who, if you go back through his high school career, is like 70-1 and one in his life as a football player. So I, I think and, – and I don't know if I just haven't read a lot about the game itself or maybe it's the long layoff or what, but this, to me, seems like the best national championship game we've had in a long time. Two 14-0 teams um, and two teams that are doing – are on historic track. I would agree. I think it's a juicy matchup. You've got two really good quarterbacks. You've got obviously great coaching on both sides of the ball. Can't wait for this one to get underway. We wanted to get you on tonight because you and your publication broke a a nice story over the weekend about some uh, salary bumps for Nebraska assistant coaches. What did your reporting turn up? Yeah, absolutely. And that was, that was uh, Steve Sipple on the scoop there. So the, uh, the old dog, you know, came through with a good one. Um, (laughs) It's, uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, I don't think it's a big, a total shock, but both Travis Fisher, Nebraska's secondary coach, and running backs coach uh, Ryan Held uh, received, I think even in today's college landscape and what coaches get paid, you would say major bumps in pay. Ryan Held $100,000 to from 300 to 400, and um, Travis Fisher 125000 up to 450. And there's really a direct parallel on that, you know, that they both. They were Nebraska's probably the two best recruiters on the staff uh, this cycle, and and that um, you know that comes with merit, and it also comes with job opportunities. And and Ole Miss and, and Lane Kiffin down there as a new head coach uh, made a strong run at Travis Fisher, and and you know Nebraska um, ponied up and 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 decided that they weren't willing to lose him. And and part of that is because of what he's done, obviously, on the field developmentally and then he obviously has had a good two years on the recruiting trail too for nebraska well i don't think that this this news would get any argument from husker fans because they've seen what these two guys have done and and really particularly travis fisher who inherited man, nothing short of a mess right i mean that that defensive back room was was pretty pretty muddy when he walked in the door yeah it was and and one of the cloudy one of the cloudy aspects of it was nobody really knew what they had in Lamar Jackson, um, a guy like Lamar Jackson, who highly touted out of high school. Um, obviously, the physical package is there, and and Travis Fisher made no bones about it when he first got hired. That you know he said, I mean, he said flat out that he was going to bring a recruit in and sit him, sit him down next to Lamar Jackson and said, "Your job is to take his job." Um, and not only um, did Lamar Jackson make strides in his last two years at Nebraska, but you know, he turned himself into a second-team All-Big Ten player and, and a surefire uh, NFL draft pick, and not only a surefire NFL draft pick, but, you know, he's got a chance to be the highest draft pick Nebraska's had since 2015, and that's obviously a big credit to Lamar Jackson, but it also speaks to um, and is emblematic of the overall development in the secondary since Travis Fisher got here. Lamar, along with Khalil Davis and Darian Daniels, is going to be playing in some of these all-star games that are coming up here in the next couple of months or in the next couple of weeks. We'll see how that goes for all of them. Parker Gabriel is with us here on Sports Sunday from the Lincoln Journal Star. All right, uh, class began today, and I know you've kind of been looking at the nine young men who were arriving in Lincoln or have arrived in Lincoln and ready to get into the spring semester. What uh, what stands out as you look at these nine that are arriving here this spring? Yeah, I think it's funny. I mean, Logan Smothers, the quarterback in the class, has been committed for so long that we almost just gloss over um, his role in this class and the fact that he's on campus now and class starts today and, you know, however, however a quarterback competition is framed between now and September, um, the fact of the matter is that now there's another talented quarterback in that room from here going forward. And so obviously he's interesting. We were just talking about Travis Fisher, and I think it's, it's very interesting that you know, three of the four defensive backs in the class at this point, uh, Taman Lynham from Orlando, Jaden Francois from, from South Florida, 
Um, and oh boy, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna blank on the Henry Gray, the safety from Miami. Um, three of those the, those three guys are on campus early too, and so um, when you take those three guys and add them to last year's four man class, Quentin Newsom, Javen Wright, uh, Noah Pola Gates, uh, and Miles Farmer, there's seven guys that are highly recruited, highly thought of. Um, that are all redshirt freshmen or freshmen, except for Newsom, who played in 10 games and is going to be a sophomore. Um, and that's, you know, you got Braxton Clark, young guy too. So those three guys getting here early, I think, makes for a fascinating um, spring, winter, spring, summer in the secondary room. Nebraska football put out a little video of some of those guys moving into the dorms last week. It looked like Blaze Gunnerson and, and uh, Turner Corcoran are going to be roommates. Did it look that way to you? Yeah, and they've been friends for, for a long time, more than a year. Um, they first met, I think Blaze Gunnerson told me, they first met standing in line, um, you know, checking in for an unofficial visit. I think it was that senior senior day game in the snow against uh, Michigan State um, at the end of the 2018 season, and they've been fast friends uh, since. Um, Gunnerson told me, you know, just sort of before signing day in December that he had a week – where he just decided, okay, I got to figure this out. He, am I going to go to Nebraska or am I going to go to Iowa State, which his brother is at Iowa State. Um, and he said that Turner Corcoran sent him a long note um, outlining why he wanted Blaze Gunnerson to come to Nebraska with him and help, you know, turn the program around and basically laid all his, his pitch out. And, and Blaze told me that he just read that thing over and over again during that week. And that Turner Corcoran is a big part of why – he chose Nebraska. So fitting, I suppose, that they're, they're roommates right away and they're going to be lining up across from each other. Corcoran's an offensive lineman and Gunnarsson's an outside linebacker. So uh, best of friends and, and, uh, and fiercest of competitors, I would imagine, over four or five years for those guys. Corcoran played in, in one of those All-American games. I don't know if you had a chance to, to watch any of that. Some of the reports are pretty, that, he, that he performed pretty well in practice sessions leading up to the game and even in the game some. Yeah, he did. I thought he played. I, I watched it pretty closely. It's funny when you watch a game and you're only watching one or two guys instead of the team, and you can really sort of watch closely at, you know, not that I'm an expert on offensive line play, but you can watch an offensive lineman really carefully. You can watch, you know, Keyshawn Green played in that same game. You can watch a linebacker really carefully, and the, you see the game a little bit differently when you do that. Um, the interesting thing about Corcoran at the All-American Bowl in San Antonio um, was that he played guard the whole week. Now, he's a tackle, and I think Nebraska will like him at tackle still. He's got a tackle frame and is a good athlete and all of that, but um, he played guard at the down there in San Antonio. He started at left guard for the West team. Um, I thought he played really well. Obviously, even though you're playing against some of the high school best high school players in the country, the competition's only going to go up. Um, you know, getting to a college campus and going against guys that are four or five years older in some cases, but um, he can really move. He's a big guy. He's probably, I would say it looked on TV like he was more um, filled out at this stage than any of the linemen that came in last year in terms of where those guys were at a year ago. Um, Obviously it's really hard for a true freshman to come in and play right away on the line, but yeah, he's a really good prospect. He can get out and run. He's a good athlete. He can move. And so, um, Blaze Gunnerson was at that game too, and he was in San Antonio for the week. Um, but he's coming back from a, a hip surgery that he had after his season, so he didn't play. But yeah, two guys that are are, are obviously central pieces uh, to the class and that are on campus now. Two of those 500 mile radius guys, which you know we've heard so much about that the last four or five years. But those are the kind of players you need to get in your program, right? To to kind of build yourself, you need those homegrown guys. Yeah, that's right, and and so. You know, there's they've got four verbal commitments for the 2021 class so far, and three of them uh, fit that bill and are also front seven players mm-hmm. with Teddy Prochaska, the tackle from Elkhorn South, uh, Henry Latovsky, who's an offensive lineman from Iowa, and the, the most recent addition to the class, Randolph Kapai from, from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, who um, is an outside linebacker up there, could play inside or outside, depending on how he fills out um, in, once he gets down here, but... There you go, you know, in-state, bordering states, um, you know, in the trenches and, and on the front seven on defense, and that's really where it's great. If you can find a Xavier Betts, uh, you know, a skill position player, if they 
were to land a guy like Avante Dickerson from Omaha West Side, who's a defensive back. But when you're talking about the 500-mile radius, you know, mostly, not all, but, but, but by and large, you're talking about linebackers, linemen, um, you know, tight ends, that sort of body type. And, and Nebraska's doing a pretty good job right now um, and has a lot more opportunity in the 2021 class on that, on that front. All right, very good. We'll let you get ready for the game. What's your snack of choice tonight? You got popcorn? You got Chex Mix? What are you doing? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, you know what? I don't know. I think I think chips and salsa. Yeah, uh, and uh, and some lasagna is the main entree. So it's going to be a good night. Man, you can't beat that. All right, Parker. Thank you so much again. Congrats on being named the sportscast or sports writer of the year in the state. We'll uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you soon. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Here we are, ready for kickoff. After 12 days from the semifinals to the finals. 12 days. Don't do this to us again. Don't make me wait, Ben McLaughlin, 12 days next year. Yeah, that's it's it's kind of a joke. It loses a lot of its luster. Think about how long ago it's been since these two teams played on that Saturday. I know for it's the only, semifinals. what, 16 days, right? Is that right? Yeah. It was the 28th of December. Why not take a week off of it? Go, go last Monday. Yes. Go last I don't need Monday. Miami of Ohio and... Louisiana Lafayette. As as Nate said in hour one, he goes, when these two teams walked off the field the last time, there were still 32 teams playing NFL football. He goes, now we're down to four. <laughs> and so that's been that long. Got to be LSU tonight, right? Got to be them. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that makes me think maybe otherwise is Clemson's win streak, Trevor Lawrence. Something finally has to go to happen, little old Clemson, right? <laughs> They never get a break. No. Can't ever catch a break. I do think Dabo likes his setup, though. I mean, he's sitting there. Nobody, he, we, nobody's picking us. Little old Clemson. I mean, woe is me. He likes his role. Uh, that's the one thing that's got me a little nervous about that. All right, there. Um, yeah, there's still teams haven't even come out of the locker room yet. We're still 10, 15 minutes away from this one getting underway. Here's what we have coming up this hour. Adam Rittenberg's going to join us here in just a couple of minutes. Adam is a national college football writer for ESPN.com. We have him on every Monday during the college football season. He's not actually in New Orleans. He's in Nashville, which is where the NCAA football coaches convention is going on, and usually a lot of stories popping out of there. We'll get Adam's thoughts about this matchup and some other things. Nate Rohr will come back in. Nate had the privilege of being at Arrowhead yesterday to witness that amazing Chiefs comeback, one of the wildest NFL playoff games you'll ever see. One team up 24-0. The other team has the lead at the half. Crazy how that happened. Nate will recount that for us as well. And we'll hear from you. Keep some phone lines open for you at 866-HOSKER-1, 866-487-5371. I still want you to get on and vote on our runs of Twitter poll. Who are you picking in this game tonight? Um, LSU by more than six. LSU by less than six. Clemson by more than six or Clemson by less than six. LSU by more than six running away with a poll as it sits right now. And time for us to check in with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. Adam, man, finally, the wait is over. Has it been long for you? Yeah, really, it really will be. I mean, you know, you can look at it as certainly an advantage in the moment, but then a lot of people have asked me who has more pressure on them tonight. And I would say it's LSU because it's been a dream season. Half the hype and folks win. And you won the SEC. You have the record setting offense. And now you're playing the national title game in your backyard with that massive advantage. Supposedly, but it doesn't always work out that way. So I think it's so much fun to play a little looser, and they've also done it. They've been there, they've done that, they've won this game before. So very interesting to see uh, you know, whether that pressure gets to LSU. I don't think it will, but it's certainly a possibility. All right, Dabo Sweeney, he kind of likes these situations, doesn't he? Nobody gives us a chance, no respect. Here we go. To me, it kind of falls right into what Dabo wants. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, because you looked at our predictions. Uh, all the NBA folks, I think there were many more Had and really lost the question. So, you know, this is their chance. And, uh, wow, if they win this game, 
you know, back-to-back national titles three out of four years. Um, you know, their program has already recombined itself, but it will just further, you know, cement them as the most dominant program in college football. Adam, do you want in this one? I do. You know, I just see it go the other way for only a couple of reasons, just because LSU's had some struggles in the red zone, and you know, plus it's the type of defense that maybe limits, uh, you know, the number of 40 or 50 yard plays. And on the flip side, I think LSU can cover Clemson maybe a little bit better than other teams can. But all, everything else points to a high-scoring game, uh, Greg, with two quarterbacks and, uh, and you know, just, just what LSU is doing, the ability to Clemson score 36 points in the game against Ohio State after a slow start offensive. So, yeah, I'd be surprised if this game is in the play. Uh, from ESPN.com, talking college football tonight, the national title game, about ready to get underway, LSU against Clemson. Uh, I don't know if you folks at ESPN have talked about it. You may have to just set up a bureau, Adam, in the state of Mississippi. I mean, I, with the hires at Ole Miss and Mississippi State of Maine, that's going to be unbelievable stories week after week down there with Mike Leach and Elaine Kiffin. Yeah, it, you know, it's going to be uh, an interesting you know, I know those two guys like each other. Um, and it's certainly uh, different in some ways, but similar in other ways. And, yeah, it'll be a lot of attention. I don't think either of those teams are going to win the SEC, but you know, there's going to be things said. And there's certainly the Egg Bowl after last year. I was just out here to the bench with some of the, you know, the resistance from the previous staff at Ole Miss the Mississippi State, just the way that Egg Bowl ended past year, now you accept those coaching personalities. It's really a, a nasty rivalry. This has been a nasty, nasty rivalry for many, many years. So, yeah, interesting to see how both of those guys fare, especially from a standpoint. The lane shift is a little more familiar. I mean, been at Alabama. Mike Weeks hasn't been at the SEC before. Well, yeah, just a couple many, many years ago, but, you know, it's a different landscape now from recruiting, and that, that's going to be a nice subplot of the whole Did the leech hire surprise you? It did. Um, you know, I, in some ways, this job fits as far as what he does. He's been in other power, two other power five spots that are kind of outpost jobs where you have to um, develop and, and have a scheme, help close the gap against some of the you know, more established, over historical brands that you're going to finish every year. But I also think that this is a fire to a more head larger because of your accountability and, and, and the discipline that you've got the field or, or even on the field leading up to their bowl game. And you know, I just don't know if Mike Leach is known for that. Mike is known for certain things. I just don't have ever seen him as a sort of disciplinary and torture type. Um, now, maybe he does that in a different way, and maybe he uh, will make some changes on the roster and, and he gets that out of the system. But Joe Moorhead wasn't fired because of his record. He wasn't fired because he didn't beat his rival. He beat his rival in those two seasons, but in some of these other issues. So that's why I was a little surprised that Mike Leach was fit. He certainly entertained we certainly got a system in place. I just don't know if necessarily some of those programs are going to be eliminated under the squad side of Well, I know you're not in New Orleans. You're in Nashville. The NCAA convention's going on this week. Any buzz down there? The Washington State job obviously is still open. What, what, what kind of news have you had down there today? Yeah, you know, certainly two Power 5 jobs are open. I just listened to Matt Rule, who uh, it was kind of cool. He, still honored his commitment to speak to the group. He was going to be here as a Baylor coach, and obviously that's changed when he was Carolina Panthers coach. He said it was really meaningful for him to, to, to come to this convention where he started out as a young coach and, and addressed these guys. But that's a job that's uh, you know, generated a lot of interest. You hear everything from you know, an internal candidate, Joey McGuire, to maybe Justin Fuente from Virginia Tech is a name that's been out there. Billy Napier has been out there. Blake Anderson played at Baylor. So this would be a dream job for him. And Washington State also attracted some good interest. Um, you know, I think names to watch there include Hawaii coach Nick Rolovich, USC offensive coordinator uh, Graham Carroll, Central Michigan head coach Jim McElwain are all possibilities there for Washington State. So, you know, again, both of those uh, jobs have been left in better hands than when those coaches arrived. In that rule and Mike Leach, and uh, and now we'll see who has to replace Very good. All right. Uh, get, last thing, give me your call. How you how you seeing this one end tonight? Yeah, I got LSU winning. I think it's going to be a relatively uh, tight game, but I, I have the, the LSU Tigers completing that dream season, 37-31. Joe Burrow and Orange Ron are going to be partying uh, well in the morning in New very good. Well, Adam, we appreciate you being with us every Monday throughout the, the college football season. We're going to give you a bit of a break. Enjoy Nashville, and we'll talk soon. 
actually enjoyed it all year, Greg. Enjoyed the game tonight. And appreciate you and everyone there in the back. There he is, Adam. Sound a little underwater. Welcome back, Sportsana here on the Husker Sports Network. And delighted to have our very own Nate Rohr join us in studio for this segment. And we wanted to bring you in here because you uh, were in Kansas City yesterday mm-hmm. for that unbelievable National Football League game. You were working the game for Westwood One, helping out Kevin Kugler's broadcast. You ever seen anything like that? No, no, I, <laughs> I mean, sure, come on. I, I sure haven't, Greg. Uh, no, that that was nuts. And uh, being a Chiefs fan and having grown up a Chiefs fan, you you drive down there and you're thinking, all right, so Kansas City is going to have an easy time of this. They're going to win this game. They're going to get to within one of the Super Bowl. You know, you're licking your chops a little bit, and then all of a sudden, Houston goes down and scores, and then Houston goes up three scores, and you're going. My God, did Lynn Elliott walk across the field in the middle of this? But just a crazy game, a wild game, and I'm, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. We, we hear announcers say the, the stadium is in stunned silence or something. Was it that way? What was, the, what was it like there at that point when it, it's 24 nothing? It was pretty quiet, Greg, it, you know, especially after you fumble that punt and, and that they send Tyreek Hill back to take that punt. And he's he's only, had like two year all years. Yeah, like that. he's hardly returned punts yeah. this year. And so it, it was kind of a panic decision in some ways. He fumbles it, and the stadium's going, oh, man, we're down 21 nothing. And, you know, I'm sure people had in the back of their head, look, we've got Mahomes. We still have a chance. But there, there were... There, there was a lot of tension. Let's put it that way. I mean, and you could hear it as the, the drop passes were piling up. Like the booze would, were just ramping up and ramping up and ramping up to where if it kept going that way, it, it could have gotten pretty ugly at Arrowhead. But, of course, things took a very dramatic turn. You had the block punt. Then you have the drop punt. Yeah. To, to me, that was kind of a breaking point for me. I'm like, pfft. Not their day. You got Tyreek Hill dropping a punt, right. giving them the ball right there, and they're already up two scores with a good quarterback on their own right, Deshaun Watson. Right. Yeah. You, you, you sit there and go, yeah, I know Mahomes is good, but we're down twenty-one nothing already, and and, and how are we going to come back from this? And you know, and you had in the back of your head what happened with Baltimore sure. on Saturday, and how rusty they looked, how out of sorts they looked, and let's face it, the Chiefs looked bad. Mm. First couple of drives, so many drop passes. I mean, it's like they greased up the wide receiver's hands uh, before the game instead of putting stickum on them. Uh, but thankfully, things settled down. Okay, what play flipped it in your eyes? Was it the kickoff return? Was it the decision to kick the field goal instead of going forward on fourth and one? Was it the fake punt? Or was it a combination of the three? Well, the three of them got the ball rolling down the right side of the hill. Yeah. Um, I think the fake punt, you know, there was a nice little fire going. First, you, you he, uh, Bill O'Brien decides to kick the field goal instead of going for it on fourth down, which I, you know, honestly, at six and one half a I dozen agree. of the other for me, I mean, I probably would have gone for it, but you can make a pretty strong case. Look, you're going to need every point you can Mm -hmm. find against these people. You have safe points there. Just take the points. Um, And, and, you know, if you get stuck on fourth down, then there's some momentum that goes to Kansas City's side. Uh, the, The kickoff return opened the door. But Kansas City's still down two scores after they score that touchdown. But you're still feeling good. Right. I thought the fake punt said to everybody, Houston doesn't believe they can win this game. I thought it was a panicked decision. I thought it was a coach going, oh, geez, this game's getting away from me, and I was conservative a minute ago. Now I have to do something really crazy aggressive to swing the game. So I guess if I had to pick a point where maybe not the game, the game didn't necessarily change, but it really picked up steam, it would be that stopping the fake punt, and really the decision to fake the punt there. To have one team, Nate, ahead 24 to nothing into the second quarter and yet not have the halftime lead 
That doesn't happen nope. in the National Football League. It doesn't happen. No. And, I mean, Houston's pass defense is not great. No. And, and you've got a very good quarter. You've got arguably the best quarterback in the game and Mahomes on the other side. But, I mean, yeah, it becomes a time issue. How do you, how do you put up three scores, well, and four scores to take the yes. lead uh, in, in basically half a quarter? But Kansas City did it. They got short fields. Um Houston gave them a couple of opportunities like, with that fake punt, but give Kansas City credit. The minute there was a crack, they barged through, they stopped dropping passes, and really took control of the game from the, there. The place had to be unhinged. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it was just a total 180, uh, just bouncing up and down, especially after the second score, and then just everything still rolling Kansas City's way it, it was it was like a tidal wave <laughs> you could feel it crashing down on Houston where where they just couldn't do anything to stop them and their offense went in the tank for yeah you know two and a half quarters I mean basically all the second all the third most of the fourth they, they that offense went quiet and give the Chiefs defense credit for for figuring out Houston and you know that Houston had gotten a short field with a block punt and and all with the block punt and with the muff punt so it's not like their offense was ever great but at the same time Kansas City stopped making mistakes and then just took control of that game. Nay Roar with us. He was at Arrowhead yesterday working the game with Westwood One. Kevin Kugler, Trent, Trent Green? Yes. What, what were you guys doing in the booth? Were you looking at each other like, what? what is... I mean, you oh, guys yeah. had to have stunned looks on your faces. Yeah, the whole time. The whole time. Uh, after One, the, for the beginning, going, what is happening in Kansas City here? And then the flip it. Yeah, especially after the third Houston score. And then... Yeah, then everything started churning after the after the decision to go for a field goal, and did, then what? What did Trent Green think of that? Did he question that, or was he okay with? I that? think he was okay with it. I think I think he his lean would even be kick the field goal, get, get points, points. Yeah. get points. Don't come I, up. I on. have no problem with that decision. Like right. Bill O'Brien's getting hammered for that one today too. I think that's unfair. Go. The fake field goal, absolutely. On your end of the yes, field, absolutely. Forget it. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand your your pass defense is not very good, but it's a whole lot easier to score from forty yards out than it is from seventy. Yeah. And and at the very least, you know, the absolute worst case scenario, they got to hit two. They got to hit two long passes on you to score from seventy out, and they only have to hit one from forty, and that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Chiefs, to me, that was the hurdle for the Chiefs to get over. I, I think they're going to be fine against Tennessee, and Tennessee's playing great. But you win a game like that, you just kind of have a feeling like it's your day. A little bit like the Royals. Sure. It, when they beat Houston in the wild, in the wild card game. That's a really good parallel. There, there are actually a lot of parallels, and they've written about this in Kansas City, uh, the parallels between the 2019 Chiefs and the 2015 Royals, especially – compared to the 2018 Chiefs and the 2014 Royals, where, you know, the 2014 Royals were just kind of happy to be there. And yeah. even though the Chiefs had home field throughout, there was always that feeling, well, the Patriots are really good. Well, right now, the Chiefs, especially the last month of the year, but for the first quarter and a half yesterday, they've been the best yeah. team in football. They're, they're playing great. They're complete. They've been to the big stage. They know what they need to do to at least get to the Super Bowl, uh, and and now they're they're set up well to make that Super Bowl run. You got to think there was a ton of pressure on the Chiefs. I'm sure they heard the buzz. Hey, you win this game, you're hosting the AFC title game next week. I mean, they're as much as football players want to be in caves and want to be isolated. They know what's up. They know what's going on, and, and so w when it started badly. Maybe there was some pressure that, that set in. Maybe there was a little rust. But once they found their stride second quarter, it was done. They've got their legs under them. You know, Derrick Henry is going to be a challenge this week. But that's about it when you look at, at Tennessee. I mean, defense is good yeah. but beatable. And Derrick Henry is a monster. But it takes him a while to get down the field. Right. It, you can get down the field quicker than him. So it sets up pretty nicely for the Chiefs. Sure does. Well, when I knew you were there, I had to get you on that night just because 
to be a part of that. You'll never forget that game. No, Chiefs fans will never forget that game. No, it would it would rank up there if I were sitting watching on television. It's up there for me in terms of sporting events I've been in the building for just mm -hmm. how quickly that changed and how 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 much that swung from a game where my my mood was not good as you can attest. <laughs> uh, we we were pretty down on the text string uh, when it was twenty four nothing, especially when it was twenty one nothing. But I mean, Deshaun Watson's legit. I mean, sure. just, if that hadn't been Deshaun Watson, you were going, eh, maybe we can come back. You're going, they're, going, they're not done scoring with him. They're going to put more points on the board. Right. You, you figured he would return fire. And, and that's a credit to the Chiefs defense. I mean, sure is. the much maligned Chiefs defense has played pretty well the last six weeks. And, you know, they put a Houston put up 21 quick points. But that first drive was pretty easy uh, for Houston. No, the but, blown coverage. Yeah. Yeah. But after the after that, I mean, you had a block punt, so a short field, and then you had a muff punt. So you really can't tag the other two on the on the chief defense. It's just they turn the ball over deep in their own end. Yeah. All right, this one's going on tonight. Who you like? Going with the home team, LSU. Yeah, I'm going home team. I, I've been riding with the Tigers with the with the Bayou Bengals, we'll put it that way. Uh, since the beginning. Joe Burrow looks the part. Uh, Heisman, you know, that didn't get to him at all. So many weapons on that offense. Clemson's good. They're not this good. Luck of the draw to have it in New Orleans. But yeah. it just, it's the way it was. It's you got to get there. So, I mean. Well, yeah, and, and that pressure can get to teams. We, we've seen that happen where, where, you know, whatever the sport, basketball, you know, the Final Four is in Charlotte. Duke doesn't get there automatically. They've right. got to. They got to win. We've seen it with volleyball. Huskers in Omaha. Exactly. Volleyball, knowing that the Final Four is in Omaha or Kansas City, and, and you know sometimes there's a point in their season or in the NCAA tournament where they're down. I think it was the Penn State match a couple mm -hmm. years ago where they were down two sets none, and in the second or third round, and you're thinking, well, geez, is the pressure going to get to them? And a team has to break through that, and you know LSU has had no problem with the pressure, with that pressure of getting to New Orleans and, and setting up the storybook finish. Two really good teams, though. Ooh, yeah. Really good teams. I mean, these are the two best teams, yeah. and, and one of the big reasons I've fought playoff expansion is the more rounds you add, the worse your odds are that you get the best versus the best. We've had 14 games to figure out who the best two teams are in college football. And, and I think we know who the best two teams are. So why muddy it up anymore? We're, we're in the minority, though. Duh, Most people want it going to eight. But here's the thing. I, I would be interested to know how many college football people want eight. Because I think people see the NFL where there are 12, and they see all these pro sports where there are a bunch, and they follow college basketball casually. But if you follow college football day in, day out, year in, year out, usually you can get it down to three. Mm -hmm. every, every year, the regular season, you can play it down to three. A three-team playoffs unwieldy. So, so you have to throw one extra team in there that really probably doesn't deserve a shot at the national championship. So I, I think four is perfect. I hope they hold the line on it. I don't exactly have high hopes that they will, but I think it's produced the two teams that should be there this year. Yeah. All right, you're back with me on Friday. Yes. We're going to go back six months and review how we did. Oh, boy. Our sports only preseason top 25. We're going to pull it out because the season will end here in a couple hours. Uh -huh. So Friday night, you and I are going to break it down. Uh, preview of coming attractions. We <laughs> overrated Washington. Who the hell wanted them in the poll? We missed on a couple of them. I guarantee yeah, you that. That'll I got to wear Washington. I was, I was a pretty uh, vociferous advocate for the Huskies and... That was proven wrong. Thanks for nothing, you uh, All right, we'll have some fun with that on Friday Night Show. Nate Roar with us down at Arrowhead yesterday. Watch that amazing National Football League game between the Chiefs and the Houston Texans. Greg Sharp, Ben McLaughlin back with you. Sports Highly here on a Monday night. LSU has answered. They've scored a touchdown. It's a 17-14. Clemson Lee with 9-17 to go. 
in the first half. So still a lot of football left to be played down in New Orleans. Husker basketball left earlier today. They've got a game tomorrow night in Columbus against Ohio State. And the, the head coach met with the media earlier today. As they always do before they jump on the plane and head out of town. Fred Hoiberg first talked about the unfortunate defeat that was Northwestern and what he saw on film after the game was over. Well, I, you know, generally when you go back and look at it, uh, it's never as good or as bad as you think it is. And, you know, I thought defensively we were trying to keep it in there tight. We were just a hair late on a couple of those closeouts early uh, where I thought uh, the game was lost in that first half was we had a, that seven-minute stretch where we scored five points. And, you know, the first four were really good possessions in that seven minutes. We had two wide-open threes, and we got to the free-throw line twice. Unfortunately, only made one of the four free-throws. <clears throat> After that, it was three... Uh, turnovers and we got our shot blocked three times which basically is a turnover and they capitalized on those so you know I thought early on we had great looks we had uh, great execution and as the half went on and we started digging ourselves a little bit of a hole uh, that's when we tried to go out and do it individually and we had two really bad shots you know we had a step back three and we had a dribble up uh, three without a pass and those things cost you you know you got to continue to trust and do the things that get you good looks uh, offensively and then you know again Northwestern you know hit shots on us obviously with eight threes in that first half uh, second half defensive intensity was was really good you know we held them to 26 percent uh, from the field uh, 39 percent overall but you know that seven minute stretch in that first half where we took quick shots or uh, drove it in and tried to shoot over length uh, where we got our shot blocked and a couple sloppy turnovers uh, that's where they took advantage and took control of the game Northwestern ended up pulling away, but before they did, Nebraska had a chance to tie the game with a three or cut it to one with a two. Coach Hoiberg talked about the play they drew up to try and get the game-tying three late in the game. Well, that play that we ran obviously was the same play that we ran against Indiana. Uh, There's different options on that where if Cam can turn the corner and get to the rim, then we'll take the quick two. And, you know, I thought he made a good read, and and, uh, Burke came off. You know, I think we all saw the film on uh, what happened on that play um, you know can't talk about it more than that but uh, you know the execution uh, was solid uh, but you know there's different options on that play it's not only for the three you got uh, you know the backside. you got Cam uh, getting to the rim and then you got Burke coming back on a crack back and you got a slip from the five which was Kevin at the time so that's a play that has multiple options but unfortunately for Nebraska just didn't work out had the look they wanted and I think what coach was a alluding to was the foul call that was not no, called the, the, yeah the no foul call um, yep. and unfortunately the northwestern did pull away and win the game by five but then not a lot of time to sit and lick your wounds quick turnaround to take on the once fifth ranked ohio state buckeyes coach talked about the lack of time in between games well there's always going to be a quick turnaround with uh, with with the league play you get 15 more opportunities <laughs> to go out there uh had a good mental day yesterday um you know, today uh, we're going to get after it a little bit tonight, but we go out there and practice. Uh, it's going to be, you know, another physical battle uh, against a really tough, strong team that, uh, you know, that, that it's going to come out hungry. You know, there's no doubt about that. So, you know, we've got to put uh, what happened uh, behind us. We've got to learn from it, um, you know, the good and the bad that we did and, and hopefully come out with, with a strong 40 minutes. We're going to we're gonna need it. If we have any chance of winning, we're going to have to play a full, complete 40-minute game. Uh, now, Nebraska has a couple of times on the road got out to pretty bad starts and let the team get kind of far ahead before they decide to make a run and make things interesting how do you prevent that from happening and get off to a better start here's the head coach yeah it's uh you know it's something where you just have to come out you know with the, with the mentality you don't have the crowd behind you uh, to get you going if uh if things don't start well and uh you know, we dug ourselves even the indiana game which we played a very good game uh, we dug ourselves a hole in that one. I think we were down nine or eleven right away in that one, and then you know made a big run and, and uh, you know, had a chance there at the end. And you know yesterday or the other day against Northwestern, kind of the same thing. Um, you know, but that was more as the game went on. I thought early actually we did build a five-point lead uh, early in that one. So you know again, it's just coming out with great energy and intensity and physicality. Um, you know, because I know Ohio State's going to do that. Sleepy atmosphere at Northwestern. I mean, I think there might have been 6,000 in the building, but didn't look overly intimidating. You've done games from Ohio State. What about that? Is it an intimidating place to play or not? It wasn't particularly when we went. No, there are certainly – it's another one of those huge arenas. I mean, it's really, really big. Um, You know, it's a little smaller and more – it's a lot more raucous and not a little. It's a lot more raucous than Penn State is, but – similar in the way that it's structured i mean it's just a really large building but 
Uh, I would rate it about middle, middle of the road. Certainly not PBA size type building. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think it's similar. It, um, it's a lot more like it seems t- more tiered off, I guess, layered. Uh, you know, PBA kind of looks you just got that kind of ramp going mm-hmm. all the way up, full of seating. There's little sections and stuff, or you know, little tiers um there i think it's value city arena is that what it is yeah in columbus um but yeah it's uh not it's not an intimidating overly intimidating place to play i'll put it that way got one more sure let's talk about the buckeyes <laughs> um this is a little distracting with the game on right now but yeah ohio state obviously a great challenge ranked as high as fifth in the country after beating north carolina in the acc big 10 challenge Coach Hoiberg gave his thoughts on Ohio State. You know, obviously they were number one in the, in the country for a reason. And, you know, it's a, it's a big, strong physical team. And, you know, one of the reasons they struggles is they played really good basketball teams. And, uh, you know, they uh, are certainly more than capable on any night of, of uh, uh, you know, going out and having huge offensive games. So, you know, Wesson is one of the true, um, you know, issues in this league with what he poses not only in the paint, but he's a 42% three-point shooter and almost a 50% three-point shooter at home. And they shoot 51% as a team uh, from the three-point line at home. So we have to be really good with our closeouts. Obviously, we have to have a lot of help uh, in the paint, um, you know, and then we have to rebound. They're, they're a very strong physical team. They are good. They're talented. Uh, they got a great big in Wesson who's very skilled. He's not overly powerful like the Rutgers kid. Um, he's not as potent behind the art as Garza, but he's he's a lot like Garza, mm-hmm. and he's very skilled. He's a great finisher. Some would even say an elite finisher. Um, good. His, his brother's not bad either. No, he, I mean, he's kind of a, a three-point guy. But, yeah, they've both been around a long time, and – you know, I remember the last time I was there uh, at Ohio State talking to some of our friends from the Buckeye Network, and they'd, they'd tell you that's why they recruited the older one is so they could get the younger one, and uh, it's worked out just fine for Coach Holtman. Feels like they both – I've told you this off air. It feels like they both have been there about eight years, those two Wesson kids. Yes. So, All right, tip time, 530 tomorrow night. No sports nightly, 430 for pregame coverage with Kemp Pavelka and Jake Muehlheisen.